The Bank of Canada announcing that they are holding steady on interest rates. And for more on that, let's welcome in economist Armin Yelnizian, who joins us now here on the radio. Armin, good afternoon, and thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. A pleasure to be with you and your listeners, Jeff. All right. Uh, the rate, it has been rock bottom for some time, 0.25% since way back in March of 2020 when the pandemic really began. Uh, many were expecting uh, that the rate would be hiked uh, today. Uh, why did the bank, do you think, I mean, why did they hold off? Well, because inflation is moderating month over month, even though the number, the headline number, was the highest it's been in 31 years. Uh, last month, it's already showing signs of moderating. And so stop and think for a second, what happens if the bank raises interest rates? Does it choke off other forms of growth? Does it actually deal with the fact that, for example, the price of oil now reached $90 today, which is something that it hasn't done in decades? And, you know, raising interest rates isn't going to make the price of gas any cheaper at the oil pumps. It's not going to relieve the supply shocks Uh, that are increasing uh, prices in grocery stores. So the things that people are most concerned about, raising interest rates right now, would do more harm than good. And I think um, the bank has been very clear that it will raise rates moving forward. Uh, But this wasn't the right moment to do it. Okay, they did actually make that statement, along with the one today, earlier this morning, that they are holding steady on interest rates that... uh it won't likely be long until we can expect a, a move. When do you think uh, we're going to see that? Is that uh, into the spring, into the summer? When can Canadians expect interest rates to go up, do you think? I think when they start marching up, uh, if they continue, like so much depends, Jeff, on whether we get another wave of Omicron. Don't forget, um, we are not through it <laughs> um, at this point. Point. Uh, emergency rooms are backed up. People are dying in record numbers. So uh, we're, we're definitely not through this pandemic yet. Um, but I think if by uh, the spring, like March, is when we expect to see some kind of new statement, and if we get through the supply shocks, if we are able to hire more people, and really, as you mentioned in your opener, the lack of staff in grocery stores, in hospitals, the lack of staff is one of the biggest reasons why there are uh, price spikes in so many things. That goes right back to fruit and veg not getting to us. Well, we haven't had immigration to plant the crops and to harvest them for a very long time. So, yeah, a lot of things are happening, but raising interest rates isn't going to reverse any of those things uh, in the short run. But if it remains sustained, if these things do not uh, come into line The Bank of Canada has got one job, and that's to control out-of-control inflation rates. So you know it'll do it, starting probably in March. Okay, and when they do pull that lever, I want to go back to something you mentioned a moment ago, that it likely won't really help, at least in the short term, on things like gas prices. And you're right, oil prices are today at $90 a barrel in these grocery store prices, the inflated grocery store prices so many of us have seen. Why is it you believe that it will do more harm than good? Well, what would raising the Bank of Canada interest rate, which is the lending rate, what would raising interest rates do to reverse that inflation? 
the one thing it will do is it'll slow economic pickup. It will mean businesses that were going to borrow money to expand or to hire uh, to maintain operating will do less of that. So it'll slow the economy. In fact, there was a, a piece that was out today in the United States saying that to be able to bring inflation down would raise unemployment rates in the United States to double-digit levels. So, yeah, you can fight inflation all you want, but it will have a different cost, which is fewer jobs. And we need both of those things to work hand-in-hand right now. We need to use people's capacity to work and get them to work as well, because that's the thing. I mean, not having a job is more expensive than paying a bit more for fruit and veg. And nothing about the Bank of Canada's interest rate going up is going to help you pay um, more money for fruit and veg. All right. In the meantime, we are also still waiting for a child care deal for Ontario. Of course, Ontario now the only holdout when it comes to $10 a day child care. But you write in the Star, I mean, that the Ford government, they're actually right to push back on this deal. Why is that? Well, in fact, I'm not defending the Ford government. I'm just looking at the math. Um, Ontario provides the most child care, and it is the most expensive child care anywhere in the country. So I get it that the parents that are listening to this show are tearing their hair out saying, why can't we get a deal to reduce costs by half this year and down to an average of $10 a day in five years? And the reason is, if we do that, which is the one kind of unmovable unmovable and non-negotiable part of the Fed's giving any province money, we're going to do that for the most expensive child care in the country. So most of the money that's going uh, to the province is going to go to the people who already have licensed care. That's 35% of the kids that are aged zero to five. So the people, that them that already got, they're going to do a lot better. But the goal of the federal plan is to also expand access. And I'm not quite sure that I've got the math right, but I haven't seen anybody refute my math. And it seems to me that most of the money will go to lowering prices and very little of it will go to improving the quality and the access to uh, uh, low-cost care. And, you know, when you drop the price of something, more people want it. So there's going to be a lot of frustration. To me, it's like setting up the province for failure. Now, I don't know what the province's bureaucrats or politicians are saying at the negotiating table. I have no insights on that. But I don't think the math works, and I think we need a better deal so that whether it's the Ford government after June the 2nd or some other government, we are not set up for failure and that we can actually bring lower cost, higher quality care to more families with kids under the age of six. Okay. Having said that, we keep hearing, though, that a deal is close, is very close. But with every other province and territory already signing on, just how likely is it, do you think, that Ontario can cut, I don't know, a different or a better or sweeter deal? Well, part of it is the failure of the federal government to acknowledge that the provision of junior kindergarten for four-year-olds is part of what we mean by early learning and childcare. They keep saying that they don't want kindergarten included. If you include kindergarten, for which Ontario spends $3.6 billion a year and reaches 88% of four-year-olds in this province, in a neighborhood near you or with a bus route near you, for free for six and a half hours a day, no, it's not childcare because, you know, most parents need more than that. But it is high-quality, regulated care nearby 
and for free for six and a half hours. And if the feds don't acknowledge that, it makes it harder for the province to actually add extra licensed regulated spaces. Uh, it just it just needs to be acknowledged because the weird thing is, Jeff, that is what the federal funding is providing in some of the deals in Nova Scotia and in Newfoundland and Labrador. It's expanding access to full-day junior kindergarten in Nova Scotia, and it's actually extending full-day junior kindergarten to three-year-olds in Nova Scotia. So um, it, it's incomprehensible to me that we're not including that in the Ontario deal. And I think once you do that, that gives them a little bit more wiggle room to do the three things that everybody wants, lower-cost care, more high-quality care, and better wages and working conditions so you're attracting and keeping people. Do you know that a lot of early childhood educators right now are working 12-hour days? That's not sustainable. We need better wages and working conditions to attract the people that have the qualifications to provide the care for our youngest citizens. Mm-hmm. You know, This is the time of life that science tells us our brains are most plastic. This is the most, this is the time where we learn the most. And if we are in an environment that is dedicated to helping us learn to live with one another and to learn new languages and learn how to be ready for school when we enter school, we will have paid for itself. Uh, we will have paid for this program going forward because we'll have higher school completion rates and better results when it comes to a lifelong uh, trajectory of earnings. That's what the evidence shows. So we're crazy we haven't done this yet, but we should be actually happy that we are on the track to improving access to care and trying to get the best possible deal for the residents of Ontario. Okay, so on the track, but do you think we're going to get there? Because, yes, there is a provincial election looming. Many are wondering if the Ford government, the Conservatives, are they willing to go to the polls as the only province, the only government without $10 a day child care? Do you think this might just come down to a case of who blinks first? Yes, I do. And I think it, it has been politicized in a way that isn't helpful. And I actually, I didn't write the headline for the Toronto Star piece. I don't know what is happening at the negotiating table or if the Ontario government has a plan or if it has made counterproposals. We know that the government of Ontario has ignored science table advice. I know that the bureaucrats have made their best case, but whether the province actually has a plan is unclear to me. And so we've been muddling through the pandemic. I don't, but you know, the Ford government still is quite popular in Ontario and they may feel that they can move forward without committing itself to more expenditures. Um, but I think you're right. It will. There, there are enough parents and grandparents uh, in this in this province that will wonder why did we not get access to cheaper childcare right now? I mean, you want to you want to fight inflation. The best way to put money in people's pockets. Uh, especially for young families, is to reduce the costs of childcare, which are the highest in in, in Canada, in this very province. So mm-hmm. it's something that I think they will move towards for political reasons, but I don't think they want to do it. <laughs> okay, we will continue to watch with interest. Armin, really appreciate your time and the perspective. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. You bet. There goes economist Armin Yelnizian with us. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.